I was like, wow, this is actually happening. Like, I've been counting down for this day for 365 days, and it's finally here. You know, that's what it says in the Gita, that for an uncontrolled mind, it's your worst enemy, but one who has conquered the mind, it's his best of friends. I feel like I'm, I'm flirting with it, so like, why not give it a go? And, and this is kind of the last, I just turned 29, so this is this will be the last chance. If you get through this, you will step up. So if you get through this, you will step up. So I was just like single steps every day. So I'm trying to keep my mind quiet. There's going to be a moment where oh, everything in your body just comes together. And you can't always, you know, know exactly when that is, but you have to believe it's in there. That was Brittany Friedrich, John Joseph McGowan, Billy Hafferty, Troy RGC, and Suzanne Davis. And this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey, gang, welcome to episode 75 of the YTP, where today we honor our guests who just torched the world championship course on the big island of Kona just a few days ago. Word on the street is that it was a very hot day. Not a huge surprise. And every single one of these warriors crossed their finish line of the day. So we are super fired up for all five of these YTP amazing, awesome people. None of them, however, was quicker on this course than our new world champion, Patrick Lenga. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He's German. Uh, he broke the course record previously held by Craig Alexander. I mean, did anybody see this guy finish? Did you see him pass Lionel Sanders? His form, his speed, it was all gorgeous. I was totally glued to the coverage. Watching him race under the big banyan tree to the finish line left me and I know so many others with goosebumps and tears. The human spirit, it gets me every time. And can I just say something about Lionel Sanders? Holy crap, what a pain locker that guy is. And he wasn't even that far behind to take second place. And Patrick, our champion, shortly said after his finish, it was everything he had ever dreamed of. So congratulations. Congratulations to Daniela Reef, uh, our women's champion, and every person who made it to the starting line yesterday. Huge, massive, amazing accomplishments. Anything is possible, you guys, and at Yogi Triathlete, we surround you with the tools to make your dreams possible. We are a holistic performance coaching company offering triathlon and run coaching, plant-based nutrition counseling, yoga instruction, mindfulness and meditation, and of course, the opportunity to connect with people who are looking, finding, and living their purpose via this very podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and today we are diving right in with our first Ironman World Championship finisher, Brittany Friedrich from Yogi Triathlete Podcast, episode 12. We first met Brittany on social media and then in person during our Ride the High Vibe Tour of 2016. At the time, BJ and I were living in Lake Placid and Brittany was in her final weeks of prep for her first Ironman in Lake Placid. The following is from our interview with her the very next day after becoming that Ironman she so badly wanted to become. When I was going back to find the clip that I wanted to pull out for this episode, I couldn't help but notice that I had a bit of a Demi Moore voice going on, and I was trying to remember if I was feeling sick that day or what, but then after listening, I realized it was because just a few hours before, we had all witnessed one of the closest Ironman finishes ever, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs. 
So in this little clip, uh, Brittany gives some great insight for first-time Ironman competitors, and she shares things that she learned during her race, like what do you do when your data fails you, how to spot your bag in transition, and the absolute joy of fresh chamois cream at special needs. So without further ado. The last hour was my favorite part. It was just awesome watching the last people cross the finish line. It's like nothing you've ever seen you mm -hmm. have to experience and, it yeah that's firsthand. what i tell people like people are like why are you so like addicted to this i'm like until you are there and you feel the energy and all the like motivation and encouragement going on like i just like you can't put words you can't put it into words it's no it's unbelievable the entire day is 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 so beautiful and and i I sit back and I just I just watch. I watch it all. I watch the athletes supporting each other. Mm -hmm. I watch the fans supporting the athletes and then the connections between the spectators and it's just it's so beautiful. It's like everyone comes together mm -hmm. for this one purpose which is to get all those people across the finish line. And we always go to the midnight finishers. Always. It's something that we get back to the hotel room and it's like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And then I always think people are still out there. Yeah. They're out there. And they, they've been up since three o'clock because we've all been up since three yeah. o'clock in the morning and they're still out there. And I'm going to get some food in my body. And I'm going to get back out there and support them. And we always grab a spot right by the finish on the stands. And this year we were so close that you could just see the expressions on their face. I mean, I get chills, like I'm even getting emotional thinking about it because the level of gratitude is so, not only is it so acute, no other time would you be so happy and grateful being so absolutely disgusting and mm -hmm. exhausted and covered in Gatorade and sweat and pee and everything and feel so amazing. Like all of that yeah. stuff that that stuff that weighs us down in life. How do we look? You know, um, are we good enough? All of that falls away when they come up to that finish line because they realize that they've done something that so many people would look at and just say, I, I could never do that. Yeah. But there's something about people who do, you, um, that you see that there is something that is possible there. Yeah, I was actually lucky enough this year they had me medal the very last person to cross the finish line. Tell everyone how close that finish was to midnight. Yeah, it was like seconds they were counting down. It was unbelievable. I mean, I can hear the screams in my head. I was screaming so loud, you think I was like being chased by a murderer. <laughs> I mean, everyone, that woman was coming around. She had seconds yeah. to get over that finish line, and she did it. So, um, all right, let's get back to your experience. So you walk down to right into town and like what's that energy like in the morning i don't even know how to describe it like everyone was smiling everyone was happy like everyone was saying hi and wishing everyone good luck and i was like wow this is actually happening like i've been counting down for this day for 365 days and it's finally here so but i went down put my water on my bike put all my nutrition on my bike filled up my tires and then i was kind of stood there and stared at it a minute because i wasn't sure if i was ready to leave or not and then Went and just double checked my transition bags. I had put the solo cups on top of them in case it rained, which it did. <laughs> so good. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, just poke a hole in the top of the cup, feed it the, the threads through, yeah. and it just keeps the water out. There so. you go. There's a good tip for everyone. Okay, and then what happened? 
So I just hung out. My dad hung up all the signs that had been made. Um, I actually worked for a summer camp during the summertime teaching swimming lessons, and my campers made me this big poster, so we hung that up as well. It got to be about like 6 o'clock. I don't know, whenever the pros went off. 6.10. 6.10. Then I started to put my wetsuit on, and I've always been the person that, even in swimming, I don't like to go up to the blocks really early. I like to wait till the last minute just because standing up there makes me really anxious and nervous. So I actually didn't go over to the swim corral until 10 minutes before we started. So you were in the first wave. So what's that? That's sub one hour. 50 mm-hmm. to one hour, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. An hour and less. All right. Tell us about your swim. Yeah, let's hear um, it. When they started us, we actually, our group got broken up into two because they had a couple pros that were coming out of their second loop. And I knew I didn't want to get stuck in the front. I wanted to be with the very first group of people. So they stopped everyone. And if you watch the video, you actually see a little pink swim cap, like sprint ahead. (laughs) That was me. So I ran ahead to the first group in the water and got in. And then I realized as I was like running in that I forgot to start my watch. So I kind of just floated for a second to start my watch and then started swimming. And it was a madhouse. I have never experienced anything like that in my life. I was getting like kicked and punched and I was like, oh, I just need to get out of all these people. And I was trying to swim past people and people were like getting on top of me when I was trying to pass them. So the first loop was a nightmare. Did you ever feel like panicked? I'm really comfortable in the water. So, so it was you're so not something lucky. I, yeah. Not something I worried about at all. I love how you described it. It was a madhouse. <laughs> it can be a madhouse. Yeah. The second loop. Um, so I came in on my first loop and the second loop I was able to get right on the cable pretty much the whole race until the end and then I started catching up to the people that were still on their first loop and so I started having to veer off to pass them and stuff so that got a little difficult but I also knew I was so close to the end that I just put my head down and went and then coming out of the water was like everyone is standing there screaming I just I don't know. Like it was, and there, awesome. and it's all for you. Yeah, it's all for you. Like, can you believe that you're on the other side of those, those corrals? Like yeah. you're in it. So you get your wetsuit stripped off. Which yeah. Is so so fun. I ran out of the water <laughs> and I went to stop my watch and I looked down and I realized that when I had gotten hit, my watch actually stopped. So my watch read 43 minutes and was paused. And I was like, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so I just kind of forgot about it for a minute because I knew I had to get my wetsuit off and get to transition. So I ran up and got my wetsuit stripped. And so then I used my time like running because I knew I didn't want to sprint down to transition. I wanted to take it easy so I didn't slip and fall. So I used that time to get my watch back going, even though it was going to be a little off. But I knew if I had it, at least for the bike and the run, um, I could figure out what my swim time was. When I got to transition, I grabbed my stuff. I do wish uh, I had some seen some people that put ribbons on their bags. I never thought of that. I wish I would have done that. It was so difficult to find my bag among 2,000 other blue bags, even though I knew which row it was. It would have been so much easier to spot if I saw something. So I got my bag. I ran into the changing tent. And there wasn't many people in there, so that was good because um, there was a lot of volunteers available. And then I actually um, had one of my teammates that I raced with. I raced for Team Blue Line. She recognized me in the tent. And came over and was like, hey, and like helped me as well. So I had two people helping me, which was super cool. I don't know. I don't really remember transition that much. It was just kind of like flew by. So I'm just looking at your, um, I'm looking at your swim split right now. So you swam uh, one hour, 57 seconds, and you came out of the water second in your age group. Mm Mm-hmm. So. You were 22nd overall for females out of the water. And um, it looks like 93 um, 
overall, male and female, out of how many people did the race? 3,000, something yeah. like that. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty clear. In the You're legit time. in the water, girl. You're <laughs> legit. All right, so tell us about the bike. I had done a couple training days where it was really hot, so I was pretty confident in my ability to keep hydrated and keep my nutrition on point. Um, I knew to do that, though, I had to have a plan. So immediately I, I knew I wasn't going to need any water at the first aid station. I can carry about 50 ounces on my bike. So I had two bottles underneath, and then I had my aero bottle. So I decided... I was going to do every other aid station. I was going to grab a banana because I knew I needed something a little solid in my stomach, even though I was doing gels all day. And then so I did bananas on the odd aid stations, water on the evens. When I first started the bike, there wasn't very many people out there, which was like, I don't know, like kind of surprising. But I would be like riding past these guys or some guys would like ride up behind me and they'd be like, wow, you're so fast on the swim. (laughs) So that was kind of cool. And people would comment on how young I was because they could see my age on my calf and they'd be like that's incredible that you're only 23 like keep it up you're doing great um so being from around here I trained on the course every weekend so I was really familiar with it like I could close my eyes and tell you everything about the bike course and I knew the eight mile climb out of town is kind of terrible for some people but I knew like once you get through that the descent is my favorite part of the whole course I just knew once I got to the top that I was going to get to go down, and I was so looking forward to that. So I made it down into Keene, and then I knew I had my family was going to be at the turnaround in Osable. So I just kind of took it one leg at a time. When I did get to the aid station in Jay, though, I realized that I didn't put my chamois butter in my bike special needs bag, and I probably should have, and I was really thinking about how bad I wanted it. So I did recognized one of my friends at the aid station so I stopped real quick and had her call my dad to try and put it in he was able to get it in so oh that's such a yeah because you're coming in hot to special needs and to yeah have something like that is yeah yummy. so when I pulled up to my special needs <laughs> bag and that volunteer pulled my chamois butter out of my bag if I wasn't holding my bike I probably would have just given her like a huge hug because I was so thankful that they let him put that in my bag but this is what I'm talking about when I say that the level of gratitude gets so acute yeah so I <laughs> got to the turnaround in Osable and I knew like the I know the first part of the course is the easy part and so knowing that I wanted to make sure I kept my cadence really high on the first part which I did that's so key um, to save I had your my, legs yeah I had my cadence sensor on my bike I don't know it wasn't working I'm not sure if it was because it rained the night before and it got wet um, but it was stuck at 118 and I knew I was not pedaling that fast so, so this is the thing that um, BJ and I talk about a lot is you know the data like and being able to be to really be able to feel what your body feels like when it's a high cadence, mm-hmm. when you're pushing too hard, so that you can rely on it because you're a great example. Like you can't always rely on the data on race yeah. day. Yeah. My watch wasn't working at first. My yeah. cadence wasn't working. Sometimes so. I think the universe just starts to put in interference on. Yeah, yeah we, become, we become too data reliant. Yeah. yeah. You need to sort of feel it. So when I coach a lot of my athletes, it's I have them use the heart rate or have the watch, but I also like will take that away from them. Yeah, have them go out and train and say like, I just want you to go on feel. Yeah, like, feel what it, just feel that eight minute pace or feel that nine minute pace or feel what it to go up the hill, um, out of class. And so I think that's really key on your nutrition. So did you? So basically, you use gels, bananas, and water, or do you um, have some sort of performance drink? I do honey sting the honey stinger gels with caffeine in them, which are super helpful. Um, bananas from the aid stations. I do water. I can't drink Gatorade. It makes me so sick. 
So I do the noon tablets, which are super convenient because I can just put a whole thing in my bike. And then every time I grab water, I just drop one in and it dissolves in 30 seconds, I think. has electrolytes in it, getting me some salt, I guess. So Yeah, we, we love noon. We yeah. do. Yeah, the Gatorade Gatorade is, is it's easy because it's on course, right? And, and it's, it works. Like it's for most people, it works. But for those seeking an alternative. Yeah healthy sort of like a cleaner solution yeah we we like noon ourselves so, yeah um, so noon bananas water honey stinger gels what, were, what was your pattern of taking things in every 10 minutes 15 minutes um so for the gels i during training had always done one every half hour so i just kept to that plan because i knew it worked so every half hour i would do a gel follow it with water um drinking i don't really ever have a specific plan for how often i'm gonna drink i just I don't know. I don't have a problem keeping hydrated. So I, that's not something I really thought about in terms of that. And then the bananas, I was grabbing one at every other aid station. So definitely practice what you're going to do on race day. So you turn around and I'll say beforeks and you're heading back into the hard part. And so for you, you're so familiar with the course, but did you have any kind of mental challenge, even knowing like you're going into that harder part? I think the hardest five miles of the course is when you hit the bed and breakfast when you first start into the notch right before whiteface. I think the next five miles, that's the hardest part of the whole course. There's always a headwind in the notch, so I knew that I was expecting that, and it was a little stronger than I had anticipated on race day. And it looks relatively flat, but it's not. It's a lot of climbing up through whiteface to the High Falls Gorge, and then there's a couple more decent hills after that. We were just having this conversation about this very part last night with um, our friends that raced, that that is such a difficult part yeah. right there. I think if I was to say what the most mentally challenging part of the bike was for me, that is definitely it every time. Even when I'm training, I just I dread that part of the course every time. But I know once I get through those five miles, the rest of the notch is pretty much flat, and I can usually average at least 20 miles per hour through there. So. And the bears are not as scary as no, they're portrayed. They're not as scary as they're portrayed. And one thing I realized on race day that you don't get on training, once you hit the bears, you can hear everything from town. And that was probably like, I almost started crying on the first loop because I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening right now. And when you get to Papa Bear, it's like Tour de France. I mean, yeah. people are all over the place. Yeah, from the bottom of the hill all the way back into town and then out for the first two miles of the bike loop was a little lined with people on both sides of the road. And Brittany Friedrich, you guys, to find out more about her day in Lake Placid, go back and have a listen to episode 12. I will say that she returned to Lake Placid earlier this year where she clinched second in her age group, finishing in 1142.53, and this is where she claimed her Kona spot, which she just saw to completion on the big island. I just love how she rolled with the data failing her, right? Like she had a moment, she recognized it, and then she moved on. There is a great skill in that, you guys, great skill. And we've been working a bit with Brittany, uh, and I know that she is dabbling in the discipline of meditation, and we couldn't be happier to see her diving in deeper. There are great things to come from this one, so put her on your follow list for the future. And one thing about the Gatorade, we were talking about the Gatorade in this clip. If you don't already know, they have supposedly created a more quote-unquote healthy and natural formula that's now on the course. Neither BJ or I have used it, but we're hearing uh, we're hearing a lot of good things about it. So give it a shot if you're out there. It's always easier to just train with what's on the course. 
Let's move it along because we have four more 2017 Kona finishers to share with you. Next up is a podcast favorite, none other than John Joseph McGowan. This is the podcast where I made the rookie and one and never to be repeated again mistake of not changing the mic input. So the sound is not usually as it is. But the feedback we've received has all been so supportive. Like it was the perfect interview for this screw up because it just adds to the rawness of the content. So imperfection truly is perfection. And we can all learn from Brittany, right? Recognize and move on. Okay. So John, if you don't know his story, it's hard to imagine, let alone believe. I mean, he was born into a dynasty of violence. John's story is one of extremity, redemption, and recovery. There is no one like John Joseph. He is candid, honest, and explicit. The following clip is from episode 21 of the YTP. We met up with John at his home in New York City, and I think the next 15 minutes gives you a great summation of his life entry into Iron Man, his mindset, and his work on this earth. He is a real yogi and one for the modern world. We open up here with John talking about his first Iron Man, and from there it flows in a very authentic John Joseph kind of way. And I said, I saw Iron Man in 81 on Wide World of Sports, and I was like, holy fucking shit, like, I'm gonna do that race one day, man. It just was so... Like, it's not the pros that, like, you know, complete, uh, you know, uh, completed so easily. It's the stories of all the age group athletes and, like I said, what they had to go through. Like, my friend James Brady, he's got three kids. He's a New York City firefighter, full-time job, and, uh, you know, still crushing, like, eight-hour, not nine-hour Ironmans and stuff. He just did Placid 1033. So it's like I was I was just moved by the age group of stories and I went through a lot of shit as a kid and I was like I'm going to challenge myself one day and do that race. And then uh I started, you know, I've always been swimming, running, biking and stuff like that. So I got into Sid's bikes which has helped me tremendously on the west side, the shop there and one of the guys uh Orion Mims was he's done like you know, 12 fulls, 30-something halves. He's like a stud. And he's like, yo, we started hooking up through the guys he knew in the bike shop. He's like, I can get you in this uh, Ironman New York City. It's the first one. It's going to be huge in New York. And he just started being like, okay, this is what you got to do. And then it was like all these, you know, the tri dorks that I can't stand. They're like, oh, I think you should try to do a hair first. I'm like, motherfucker, do I know you? Do you know what I've been through? Like, I, you know, if I set my mind on something, you know, you get that's me what done. Yoga and meditation and everything I get into. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, you gotta rise above all the doubts. You know, that's what Krishna told Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. Totally, you know? man. And you know better than anyone that. Um, you can do anything, like, if your mindset's yeah, in the right place. it's the mind, is the real, that's your real demon, that's the real enemy, like, you know, that's what it says in the Gita, that for an uncontrolled mind, it's your worst enemy, but one who has conquered the mind, it's his best of friends, so, best. I'm like, Love once I say, you know, and then you put the groundwork in with the nutrition, and, I mean, I'm on, like, superfoods, so, you know, like, just a lot of raw, I do my E3 live, wheatgrass, 
you know, so it's like, I eat so clean. I don't do any drugs. I don't drink. I don't, you know, obviously don't smoke. So I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I played a show the night before with the Cro-Mags because the drummer messed up and booked the show thinking that the triathlon was like, you know, the week before or whatever. And so we had this big concert in Philadelphia for like 2,000 people. And then I had to drive back, take a shower, no sleep. I had a stress fracture in my foot. And I just, and it was funny because I, I, I made it there and I caught the last ferry up to the transition to Rostock. And it was all the pros. And I'm like, you know, up all night. And I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, you want some Vega? And they're like, yo, like, they're all got their headphones oh, yeah, on in the zone. In they're just like, get the fuck away from me. Who let this fucking moron? They're like, how'd you get on this boat? Like, really? That's what they were like. Nah, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I did it. And, I mean, it was brutal. It was like 96 degrees humidity, you know, August in New York City. But I got it done. I did 13 hours, whatever. It wasn't. You know, I don't, I'm getting better. I'm getting a coach next year. So like my times are going down, but I just try to enjoy the journey and not be a dick about it, which a lot of those mm -hmm. fucking triathletes, I'm just like, totally. shut the fuck yep. up. Like, you know, smack. But I think, I think like a lot of that of what you see is, um, you know, people are just like living in their ego and people yeah. are just like trying to race these races with an untrained mind. Not only that, a lot of them's doing fucking, you know, performance enhancing mm -hmm. drugs. Even the age group is to get in Kona and cheating. And I don't do any drugs, so I'm not going to race taking no drugs, my, my, you know. And uh, I just do it to have fun. It's it's not my whole life. I'm not a professional triathlete. I'm just, it's, it's part of my whole regiment of my chanting, my meditation, my diet, helping the homeless. And that's just one of the other things I do is... I compete in, in in race Ironman. It's it's part of my regiment, you know, to you know to keep me fit. At I'm turning fifty four in uh, October third, right before my race. So, you know. And you've been plant based for a long time. Yeah, I started out raw in eighty, the end of eighty eighty one. I met Victoria Skovinskis, the whole nine yards. I worked for the Bad Brains, and they were like, you know. Ital, which in Rastafari means like no oil, none of that. It's like really strict. And uh, so I got into it. You know, I came out of a hard time on the street. I don't know if you guys know my book or whatever, Evolution of a Cro-Magnon. I grew up in really abusive foster homes. My father like almost killed my mom. He was a boxer. So the, we got taken out of the home and put in. A really bad foster home. I was on the streets. I sold drugs. I did fucking crime. In this, I was in '77 on the streets of New York City as a, as a 14, 15 year old kid. Like I got shot in the leg, selling dust. Like fucking. So I got incarcerated. So I, you know, in '78, did almost two years, and um, um, you know, it came from a very violent surrounding. And then I went into the Navy, um, and uh, I was fucking up there too because I was a mess. I was like beating people, beating people down on my ship. 
beat this dude till he shit his pants on my ship because he kept fucking with me. And I'm like, yo, dude, like, just leave it alone. And I was into punk rock and everything already. And uh, I just was beat him with a paint can. And uh, so I came from a real violent um, thing. And then, you know, I was searching for something, though, because I was like, why is my life so fucked up? What kind of karma, you know? And, and I started listening to Bob Marley, like, in 1980. And then I went to Jamaica with my ship. I met these rosters. And then I met the Bad Brains. And so it just kind of all, you know, when you're really looking for something, man, the universe, mm -hmm. Krishna, God, whatever, will start putting those messages out there. And then it's up to you to, you know, to take to it. So one of the things that they would tell me, you know, I got in a serious knife fight with these Puerto Ricans, uh, gang members, and I beat them with a chain. I got stabbed in the shoulder, but, I, you know, and then they, they squashed it because they, these guys were going to kill me. Nobody would hang out with me. Um, these guys, uh, sold, they had the biggest heroin spot in all of the United States on 11th street. And, um, yeah, so I fought him because the dude tried to stab me with a knife in the stomach and I beat him down and then, you know, so they, the Bad Brain squashed it for me. It was outside of their studio and then they offered me like a job and I could stay at the studio and they were Rastafari. They're like, you can't do drugs, you can't eat meat. And then I went on tour with them and I was cooking for them. And then I got a job at a health food store and I was connected to Integral Yoga Institute. So I started taking yoga. I met Swami Satchinananda, Victoria Skovinskis. And then I just got into the yoga and the meditation. And then Hare Krishna, one of the guys worked there at Prana Foods, was, um, we used to go to the temple. And he said, yo, you got to come check this out. And I went for the morning program and that was it. I was like, yo. And everybody sees the devotees chanting and whatever, and they just think there's nothing to it. But then when you start reading the Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita, Ishapanishads, you see that this is the deepest philosophy out there. And it's real yoga because it's, you know, it's about austerity and not just going to do some exercises and then walking out and smoking a cigarette. And, you know, it's real yoga. It's controlling your senses there's regulative principles you don't just do whatever you want mm -hmm. and say i do yoga you know that's Prabhupada said that's gymnastics so i really took to it and then i became a monk and i was for a year and almost two years i had shaved head i lived in hawaii puerto rico new york and just lived the whole uh you know kind of uh monk life practice martial arts and um and then uh, I just had the calling for the music still. So I was already playing music in 81. And then I was like, yo, I got to do this music. And then I injected the Krishna conscious like lyrics into Chromags. Like the age of quarrel means Kali Yuga. That. So that's what we call the first album. It's like one of the classic punk hardcore records of all time up there with the Bad Brains and whatever, but it was really spiritually conscious. We had a song, Seekers of the Truth, and like all this real heavy stuff, but disguised in a way that the truth was getting out there, but not preaching on a soapbox to people, which nobody likes. So it's, I got the Sukriti means that they get the benefit 
whether they know it or not. And then I just been keeping with the music and all of that. But you know, like I said, the, I, I I I love doing triathlon. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not dissing on like I've met amazing people in the triathlon community. Like I would say, ninety five percent of everybody's just so fucking cool. And there's more and more every time I show up at these races because I've done the Rich Roll podcast and the shit on Vice, and mm-hmm. I got this other thing on Munchies, how to make a smooth. Like so, people are kind of getting hip to it, and more and more people are like, yo, I went plant based because of guys like uh, Rich Roll and you and Brandon and whatever. So you're seeing more and more people like in Boulder. I was eating at this restaurant downtown and all these like plant-based dudes that were racing were like, we were hanging out. It was cool. So, you know, most of the community is like really fucking solid people. And the plant-based movement is growing. Like we're finding it just from like, we're kind of on this cross country tour. We're moving out to California. Just the people that we've come in contact with and the athletes that BJ coaches, like so many people, it's like the power of the food just kind of takes care of it. You don't really have to sell it. They look at you. You yeah. look great. You're doing Ironmans. Like, you're thriving in life. Yeah. Like, it kind of sells itself. Well, you know, that's what Prabhupada said. Example is better than precept. You know, you could talk all the shit you want. And I find in the 80s and 90s, the, the vegan shit got a bad label because of all that they ate shitty processed food and didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And they were like chubby, out of shape people and then telling people to go vegan. And Joe Stud in the fucking gym is not trying to hear it. And now that more and more of these dudes, Tom Thompson and all these people, are, you know, the world record holder, weightlifter and boxers and all these people, it's like, you know, they're like, oh shit, that guy don't, that guy's fucking vegan. That guy's plant-based. Get out of here. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, the whole thing is this whole, these industries have propagated this meat makes you macho bullshit uh and and and, you know vegetarians and vegans are sissies and all this shit because they try to they have to try to trick you into buying their fucking product now with the milk you know they have this milk versus almond milk commercial because less and less people are drinking milk less and less people are eating meat it's really starting to take off um you know and it, it solves, you know, many problems, uh, especially environmentally. And, and, you know, I I really got into it. I didn't learn all the health benefits until I started researching more. But, I, you know, I got into it because the Rastas were like, we don't have the right to take the life. Rastafari means prince of peace. So how are you going to say you're a prince of peace and you're fucking you know. supporting industries that cut the throats of animals? That's why, you know, in the Kali Yuga, all these religions that do animal sacrifices and kill animals and and tell you it's kosher and this this is all bullshit. That's, you know, if you believe in God or you don't, whatever, but if, you know, there's no God that's going to sanction what the fuck they do in slaughterhouses. That is just total ludicrous bullshit. And I challenge anybody that says that to go in. And, you know, instead of buying all that neatly packaged meat where the death is hidden, go to the slaughterhouse and see what happens, where your food comes from. John Joseph, he is no one to mess with, but I can also say that he is one of the kindest, most beautiful souls 
on this earth, and he is practicing selfless service every day. He is infusing the Krishna, the divine, the higher mind, love, consciousness into the world, and he's doing it in his unique way. And he is reaching a population of people that so many of us would be too scared to even try. If you haven't had a full listen to this episode, then mark it in your queue. It's podcast 21, and for sure you do not want to miss it. John finished his second world championship on Saturday night and he had a rough day out there and it sounds like it started on the bike, but he kept his signature PMA, positive mental attitude, and he got it done with his buddy Alexander on his mind. Alexander is the little boy that John races for in an effort to raise money for his family on behalf of the Children's Tumor Foundation. If you're interested in finding out more about his fundraising efforts, there is a link in the show notes. All right, next up is Kona finisher Billy Hafferty, another amazing plant-based athlete that we met during our tour last year. First in Lake Placid, then he kind of like stalked us across the country, right? Because then we connected with him again during our visit with the Iron Cowboy Podcast 41 guest in Utah. And then again in Arizona where we recorded this episode with Billy, which is episode 49. And then again in Santa Rosa where his girlfriend Susanna crushed her first Ironman this past July. Billy was also a guest on podcast 64, which was our Santa Rosa square table smackdown. And well, here he is again. So we are excited to be sharing the following clip with you guys. It's a great combo of his plant-based story and his lead up to Ironman Cozumel 2016, where he took second place and gained his Kona qualification for this year. Billy killed it this past weekend in Kona. And Susanna was texting us to say that he was all smiles all the way. I want to switch gears because we've got a couple different things that we want to talk about. You're a plant-based athlete. Yes, ma'am. And I want to talk about that. I want to hear your plant-based story. It really started for me about three years ago. Well, I started started eating, quote-unquote, healthier right after college. I, I started running, and yeah, the running led to some weight loss, and uh, the weight loss led to more running, and then I just started eating healthier. But I made the decision about three years ago, coming up on three years ago, just to cut cut meat and chicken. It was actually the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I just never kind of looked back. I always thought it was just kind of, for me, it was just like unfulfilling. Like I would just, I remember finishing like a whole chicken breast or a whole prime rib and just just being super unsatisfied. And you can get so much nutrients and uh satisfaction from a huge salad i get i get the satisfaction from eating a big bowl of salad then you know cutting up a an ounce of steak and and eating that so i just that's how it started and i've been pretty much fully vegan for um almost six months now so is the cheese the last to go? Yeah, it's just like you. It's always the cheese, right? It's like the lingerer. It's lingering. It's nacho man over here. Oh, my um. God. Oh, God. I was like, <laughs> there was a time in my life where we had some friends, male friends, who whenever we'd go out to dinner, be like, oh, great, Brian's coming because then I can split the queso with him because right. BJ never really liked queso. <laughs> and I literally like had thought sometimes, like, I wish I married a guy who liked queso. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> checks all the boxes yeah, except like, for the queso. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like reason for divorce, non-queso eating husband. Oh. What was it about the dairy that you finally were able to let go of it? I think I just tried it. There wasn't a there wasn't a 
big moment. I, I, I wanted to race. I raced a couple months ago in Coeur d'Alene, and I was like, okay, if you're going to go all in, like, got to try it out. Like, why not try it out? Nothing else has, has really helped diet-wise. And then I didn't, I didn't really miss it after I gave it up, you know. Did you feel any difference in your health or energy levels or anything in your body from letting it go? The major shift happened when I gave up meat. And you were playing football for you you were playing football for many years. For right? sure, yeah. I played football for about twelve, fourteen years. Um, since like second grade all the way through college. And I was always an offensive lineman. The conversation was, you know, how much it wasn't like what you had, it was like how much how much meat did you eat? You know, like <laughs> how many pancakes can you eat, how many slices of bacon, like you know, it's it, it's kind of just a competition, especially on the O line when weight is cherished right that's um, how you move yeah other people <laughs> so um but then you switched and you you lost some a significant yeah you just get on that it's like the, the upward spiral everybody kind of like talks about the downward spiral of whatever the reaction is but this is like an upward spiral so you're kind of you're eating better so you're feeling better and then you're running faster or, or performing better whatever your sport is and 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 then you feel feel better because you you just did a, a you know whatever it is a 25 minute 5k or, or or whatever um your goal is and you start to go realize that it's all interconnected you know what's what what you put into your body is the results you get out of your body so it was just a an experiment and it was the one that I did the paleo thing for a while. I did the Atkins thing first and, and you know, like it was just an experiment. And then when I finally gave up meat, it was the experiment that worked. Well, I think <clears throat> what happens when I, the more and more I talk to people who are on a who are vegan, like fully vegan, they've gone that way for health reasons. A lot of people are athletes that we talk to. They went there for, but then something happens. Like you're just more (laughs) open to learning. And maybe it's because you're hanging out with the vegan people and you're Mm. listening to like Rich Roll and uh, the Yogi Joe Athlete Bogos. And you're just, you're getting educated. And so the veil starts to lift. And then once you learn, you're like, oh man, I can't go back. Like I can't, Yeah, I can't go back. And I'm not saying that all vegans can't go back. Some people do and all of that. But what I love about your story and your process was that you just found out what worked best for you and this is what works best for you. For sure. Yeah. And that's what we did. Like we were listening to, you know, Rich Roll and we were following his story and we were like, you know, for me, it wasn't a big deal to give up meat. And then we realized like, God, it just feels so good. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel so good. So as an athlete, and you're now training for Ironman Cozumel, do you feel that you're getting everything you need from your diet? And more. Absolutely. BJ and I were riding last weekend, and I I took a wrong turn, and, and I went down the worst wrong turn of my life. So we were doing intervals, um, six by 30 minutes, and I missed where the guys went. Uh, they went left, and I went straight. And about... Three minutes down the road, there was a farm, this big cow farm. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a big open field, and I kept riding, and I went over this little crest of a hill, and oh my God, it was like the worst sight I think I've seen. I don't even, I can't go back. Half a mile of cows locked up, like in the stables, and they're all standing the narrow way, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, 
for a half a mile and I timed it. I timed it on my watch. It was a half a mile. I don't even know how many cows that is. Like a thousand, it's got to be over a thousand cows. I would, I would guess. It was like the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I took a video of it. At the end, I was like, yep, this is why I'm vegan. Yeah, like this is the right decision. Oh my God. And it was right it up was against the road too. From right the up video. against the road. It's, it couldn't be any closer to my the road. My goodness. Oh my God. It was heartbreaking. And they were all staring at me like their little necks were going with me. As I moved down the road, they didn't, they didn't move or say anything. It was like one of the saddest things I've ever seen. And Did you just feel that like sadness? Yeah, it reiterated the decisions that I've made, you know, like maybe I had to see that, but man, oh man, my heart just dropped. I knew I wanted to take a, take a video of it because I can't even explain, like I say, a half a mile of cows shoulder to shoulder. And you probably think, oh yeah, that's a lot of cows. But what it really was, was a half a mile of cows. I'm going... 18 miles an hour for uh, over two minutes. And it's just crazy, crazy, crazy to see. It was heartbreaking. Oh my gosh. So yeah, now, now when I see that, now when I like go into, you know, drive, drive past a, you know, a butchery or whatever, like, it's like, that's, that's, that's what you're getting. Yeah. They're all looking at me as I bike by. It was so sad. You're making that connection between what goes on your plate and where it actually comes from. Sure. And when you make that connection, it's it's so impactful. It's yeah. so heavy and and I know I know that it's difficult to digest at times. Yeah. Um we've had some deep experiences on this trip whether we're driving on the road oh, and we yeah. see the cattle trucks drive by or we're staying at a farm and every time we go back and forth from the farm we see more farms. So it's out there, and I think when it's it's important to to make that connection yeah. and not just see them for what they are, but see them more for why they're there and and what we're what what their end result is. So what you're saying is it just reinforced everything that you've done for the past three years yeah. that you've turned yeah um, more yeah that's a, that's. That's a vision you're never going to forget. Ever. You know, and I... little eyes following me, like, yeah. as I travel down the road. Yeah. It was so... I can't even describe it in a way that yeah. does it justice. It was just... I've had a, um, a few intense moments on this trip from things that I've seen. And, and there's also some visions that I've, I have in my head from movies that I've watched that I just... They, they can't be erased. And there's no mistake of what we see and it's when we're we're open to receiving it and yeah i don't think that that was a wrong turn but whoa that was intense it was intense for sure yeah so make no mistake i don't want anyone to make any mistake like when you're vegan or you're plant-based or whatever it is that you call yourself like seeing things like this is not easy it's actually it's so it's so much easier to just be like I need mystique, yeah. you know, and yeah, like I know it comes from cows, but whatever. And yeah. then it's like, you know, it comes from cows and you need your steak, but everything in between is like blacked out. Yeah. It's completely blacked out. That's a much easier way. That is such an easier way. But the damage that gets done in living that way is, um, it's just, it's like reprehensible. It's, it's just, it's, and, and I was, 
I was a contributor. For sure. Yeah, huge. Well, it's just what we were talking about before. I was, I was curious. I mean, everybody, I think the majority of people who make the change were once a contributor. Like, yeah. as I was asking before, like, there's few and far between people that have been full on vegan their whole lives without, you know, making some conscious decisions along the way. It's not an ignorant choice. It's a choice out of consciousness, I think. Oh, huge. And, and whether, whatever your entry point is, you know, whatever your, if it's health or whatever, it's still a conscious choice. Like I want to be healthier. And the research now is just, you know, you can't. It's undeniable. As we interviewed Dr. Neil Barnard, and he was just like, there's just no excuses anymore. Like, what's available for doctors to know at this point is just, it's just, there's no excuses at this point. I'm so glad you shared that. And I'm so glad you're a plant-based athlete. (laughs) So you're going to the Cozumel. And yeah, I just want to say one more thing. Like, when you eat this way, I don't feel like... I feel like I'm sacrificing anything. Like tonight we had a plant-based fettuccine Alfredo, which was, wasn't that good? Like, so good. I mean, I don't don't really know at this point what fettuccine Alfredo tastes like, but because I never used to order it because I'd always be like, it's a heart attack on a plate. Like I can't get it, but I've had bites here and there. You never got the tour of Italy from, uh, (laughs) from what's it called? Olive Garden? No, no. I just go for the breadsticks and and the free breadsticks and salad. salad. Yeah. We were broke when we used to go to, we should probably start going back, but I thought it was pretty amazing. And you know, that was actually leftovers from last night because we were also stuffed. And then we just, I sauteed up some garlic and shallots and blanched some broccoli and asparagus and, and threw that in there. What's never, that? I, you taught me how to blanch. I, I just know. learned how to blanch. I didn't, See, I didn't know what it was. Now I, didn't I know was able to serve <laughs> people who love to blanch. Uh, and then uh, roasted up some butternut squash and it was like perfect. so, so yummy. So there's and you nothing. Finish and you feel so good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, Actually, I was feeling like really tired earlier and then after we ate, because it's, 9 40 at night is like this really? is crazy like i'm never <laughs> it's up a this late, late podcast and at 8 30 we were like all right let's podcast whereas if you had like an fettuccine alfredo we'd probably be sitting on the couch with our pants unzipped <laughs> passed out yeah <laughs> the tv on more wine more wine <laughs> yeah exactly but instead i'm like i'm ready to go we're riding the high vibe <laughs> all right so you're moving into cozumel and you're training with the iron cowboy we're Three weeks out. We're James doing Lawrence, good. who yes. we just we all just were podcast. hanging out in Utah. <laughs> Little shout out to James, who kept us captive in Utah for six days. That's so we awesome. were only gonna go for like a day. I think that's so awesome. Yeah, so how are you feeling? Are you feeling prepped I'm and ready? I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't this is a, a last minute not a last minute, but within the last couple of weeks decision for me. I raced Cordelaine back in August and I knew I didn't really race to my potential and I was kind of bummed out about that, but I've been there before and I kind of know how to deal with it. And I just like, man, okay, maybe, you know, I got like one more shot. The The end goal has always been to try and get the, uh, the coveted Kona spot, but yeah, I missed it, missed it by t- two slots and then previous uh, time missed it by one slot. So it kind of been flirting with, with that. And I don't know why it's such a goal. I, everybody's like, Oh, you know why you keep, doing it like what what motivates you to keep doing it I just like I don't I don't know I just feel like I feel like I'm I'm flirting with it so like why not give it a go and and this is kind of the last I just turned 29 so this is this will be the last 
chance in the 29 to or the 25 to 29 age group. So I feel like it's it's a time to go for it. What are the qualifying times looking like? What did they look like last year in Cozumel? I wish I could say I don't know. Um, I'll be just pulling it up. But We're no, getting stats. No, no, no. I wish I could say I, I do yeah. know. I wish I could say I don't know. The first, oh, the two, know. the two qualified last year did nine thirties. Yeah. Um, guess what? The thirty to thirty fours go faster. I know. Thirty five to thirty nines go faster, and this freaking forty. 44 like it's crazy like, everybody just keeps getting faster so yeah so i if there's a time to do it for me it's it's one more time and i've put a lot of time and energy over the past five years into iron man and i just feel like if i go for it and don't make it happen this year i'll, I'll be happy with the energy i put into it over the past five years i'm very content with that but um i just felt like in my heart i wanted to give it one more shot well, and I know your coach believes in you because I was sitting across the table last Friday night and he Jeez. just kept looking at you and saying, you're going to qualify for Kona. I know. And that's a hard thing to hear, right? Is that a hard thing to hear and, and to agree with? I've been thinking about that a lot. I don't know. I felt so confident. The past two races, I've felt so confident. I don't know what it looks like. I look up to people back in Boston who tell me like, it took me 10 times. It took me a dozen times. And then there's just people it takes one time. And then there are and people they're like, Kona, what's Kona? Kona? Yeah. I got yeah. a slot. <laughs> there's those people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know how to um, put that in my brain yet. There's a lot out of your control when you're going for something that's not, it's not like a Boston qualifier where you go, got to run a 305 and then you get into Boston and you get to, to apply to be in Boston. So I just want to go out. And feel like I left it all out there. You don't feel like you've put it all out there before? I, I do feel like I've put it all out there before. I'm just envious of that clip of, of the Brownlee brothers, you know. And I know the race is a quarter of a distance, but that doesn't take away from any of the, the effort. But I just feel like, yeah, if I could like just not die, but <laughs> pass out at the finish line, run out of energy at the finish line, like that's the efficiency like you put it all out there and you still raced your smart race and and really dug deep um then i and i'll be happy so that clip left me wanting to make my vegan fettuccine alfredo recipe again however i never wrote it down so this time i'm gonna have to record it as i create it again because it's got to go into cookbook number two. And although it may seem that cookbook number one is never coming, I assure you it is. We are just waiting on our incredible panel of reviewers to finish up. We just have a few more to hear from, and then we're going to launch this compilation of love into the world, right? There's never a dull moment in this awake and ready life. And this is a life that Billy Hafferty is for certain living. We are in a lot of contact with Billy as he navigates his greatest expression, and it's just such an honor to fire up mics with somebody who opens up about their dreams and then gets to live those out. And we know that Billy was soaking up every moment in Kona because he knows what it means not to miss his life. Speaking of a dude that soaks up moments of his life, we're going to piggyback Billy's clip with the one and only Rodrigo Romero Garcia de la Cadena, another podcast favorite from episode 63 and episode 64 from the Santa Rosa Square Table Smackdown. 
How can you guys have so many favorites? Well, it's simple. This is what happens. We launch and then you guys reach out to us and you say, oh my God, that was my favorite. And then the next week comes and then you say it again. That was my favorite too. And it's true that the people that we're being connected with are leaders in life. And there is something to gain from every conversation. And there is no stasis, right? Everything is always changing. So it's okay to have weekly favorites, all right? You just go right along with that. Rodrigo or Troy, as he is better known here in the States, is for sure living his purpose. And he is one of my favorite people in this world. We enter into this clip talking about his coach, Siri Lindley, podcast guest number 39, and the very beginning of their journey together. I can only imagine the two of them are walking on clouds today. So I'm recording this on Sunday. We're launching on Monday uh, because last night, Troy took ninth place in his age group at Kona. Amazing, amazing achievement. We're so excited for them. And Troy is just innately positive. And more so than that, he is fluid. He has this natural way to bend with the ways of life without resistance. And adding to that, his incredible athletic talent and deep drive to take himself as high as he can in the sport makes him a champion. And this reminds me of our last podcast with Lex and how she talks about choosing a path and staying focused to go deep. That's exactly what Troy is doing in his sport, leaving Mexico, his entire life behind, risking everything for triathlon and showing us all how to stay strong with a one-pointed focus. I love this part of our conversation with Troy because it reveals how his community stepped up to support him, to follow his dreams. And there is no doubt in our minds that we are going to see big, big things from this guy in the future. She's got this view where she can kind of look down and she can see the whole picture. Yeah, like really, really detail on it. Like so. she doesn't just look at you as like, okay, I'm going to get results out of him. She's looking at you and your situation and now what she's asking of you and you're 99.1% in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when that, you were saying that voice came up a lot, what, what did you, where did you go in your mind or what did you do to get, to, to just move away from that voice? And it's not like to quiet that voice. Cause sometimes when you try and move away from the part of you that's saying, who are you to be doing this, that that voice will get even louder. But how did you navigate that? Like those moments where you just committed to the training and not listen to that voice? Well, at that moment, like I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, like I thought I knew I, what I was doing because I was saying like, okay, I, I don't care. I'm going to keep going. I keep going. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. But then um, everything comes like easily on their way. And people who start supporting me at that moment, it was like my brother, my girlfriend, um, people like uh, from my city was starting like saying like, hey, no worries. I'll, I'll help you supporting like some economic stuff or so I was just like, things are where when things start coming like in their way like by their way it was just like okay 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 it's not that bad like as you think it could be so like it was I, it was I, it was helping you it was showing you that this is what you were supposed to do yeah and at the moment i wasn't doing it cuz i was saying like hey look at me i'm i'm doing it like no i don't care like what you're saying or i i will show you that i will do it cuz for me, it, it'll be never that the reason, and it's never been that the reason. It'll be just always like proving to myself that I can do it. So whenever I was just like really, like really scared or something, 
I was just trying to get into the other way to the thing like, okay, if you get through this, you will step up. So if you get through this, you will step up. So I was just like single steps every day. So I'm trying to keep my mind quiet in that side, like saying like, no, I, I, I'm not going to listen. When people it's important to you, it's it's quite hard to get it on a part. Like just start getting, and, and I still learning from that because it's just like, I don't get it like how people can be like pissed of how of somebody who's maybe doing the right stuff on, or successing by themselves. So because and, and sometimes we play around with people who's not like maybe doing their best, but they are showing up so much. So I'm just like I'm still like trying to move on that. But it's like um, it's always a good like a good challenge, you know. <coughs> How long were you in Mexico training with Siri before you decided to come here? I started, learn, I started training with Siri on December, uh, December, December 13th, I think so. And then I came here till June, June 8th. 2016? Yeah. So last year? Yeah, last year. Cool. So how is that? So you come to Boulder? Like, like, well, the thing it was, it was like, well, that's the other part. Like when I was like, uh, I will always say the same thing. Like uh, all what I learned at the beginning uh, till some point, it was from my coach, like my old coach, because he was like uh, super open with me, like really sharing so many stuff with me. So I learned a lot. And that one, that was one of the best things that I learned from him because he says like, Boulder is the place. Like, if you get there, it's just like amazing to stay there. So I was just like, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Till I was here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So let's back it up just a tiny bit. What did it take for you to get, what did you leave behind in Mexico to come here? Because you were going to come here for what, a few weeks or? I was like, well, then I was. When I start training with Siri, she says like, okay, I'm at that moment, she didn't have any uh, age groupers, no any age group uh, trainings. So just professional athletes. But she says like, I'm, I'm, I see something like in you, like I want to be training uh, your, your coach. We, we can do like a good work together. Let's do it. And if you, you will start remotely and then we will see if you can come after the swim block or after like some block training. So we start training and then I didn't really wanted to ask like, hey, can I come now? Can I come now? Can I come now? So I was just like, hey coach, I'm thinking like to do Boulder, Ironman Boulder, what do you think? And maybe do like some good block training before Ironman Boulder, what do you say? Yeah, yeah, we will check, like we will see. It sounds like a good plan, but we will see. It sounds amazing. So you're, like, was, you're like, that, wait, you're like waiting just, for her to op- like yeah. open the door yeah. for you to come to Boulder. So was that a yes or was it a no? <laughs> I was just like, like, I was just like at that moment, like, okay, I might wait to ask again <laughs> in another way. So then I was, I was just like, keep training, keep training, keep training, keep training. I'm like literally killing myself in every single session, like so bad. And then I... I sent her an email like saying like, hey, look, I found like these weeks will be, will work, will working. Like, what do you think? Like, yeah, absolutely. Come like whenever you want to come. No, I'm like, I'm missing something. Well, we went to, to San George. 
So I raced there. I met her there for the first time. And we were talking. And after the race, she says, like, whenever you want to come to Boulder, you're welcome. So I came back to Mexico and I was just like yes. really freaking out. I went to my brother and I said, she says, like, whenever I want to go, like, I can go now. <laughs> like, like tomorrow, like no more. doesn't matter. So he was just like, okay, okay. He's, he's been always like that. I'm always like super excited. And he's always like, mm, okay. And how are you going to pay? And okay. And so he's like the more realistic side. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, okay, let's find a way like to, to make it work. And you, you can go like, let's do it. So I, I was starting like doing it. So then I sent to see like, okay, this is my plan. This is the Ironman. Then after that, I can do this race and blah, blah, blah. And she says like, okay, Troy, you can come just till this part of the year. Cause after that part of the year, I have my, my Kona squad. Um, the Kona squad is just like not age groupers allowed. So just till that time you can stay in Boulder. Otherwise I cannot be like really paying attention on your session or what you're training or what you're doing. So I, I came here just with the plan for Ironman Boulder. It was like six weeks, I think. I was training here and before Ironman Boulder, she told me like, okay, I want you to stay longer. Like, I think you are doing a great fit on the team and we are like, we are having like a really good block of training. And so, she's feeling it. She's seeing you interact with the team. Yeah. She's feeling the energy. She's feeling what you're bringing to the team. Like that's, that's yeah, so big. Exactly. So I was, and I was really feeling like, you, you usually feel like, you can really know like when you belong, belong to somewhere or not. Like, like sometimes you try too hard to really belong to where you're not and mm-hmm. you just have like different signs where you are not reading or not paying attention and you don't get it. So I was just like, at the moment I was just like, okay, I'll find a way. So I was like, I told you before, I was just calling like to people that I was that He was supporting me in Mexico. Like I have to stay longer. She sent me an email, like this big email saying like, I want you to stay longer. So I did that. Um, I, I don't know how, but I found a way. And so I stood... you're, you're needing to pay rent here. Yeah. You're needing food, 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 race registration, everything. <laughs> yeah. So who, who was stepping up to, who's stepping up to support you in this? Oh, like I had like two, like two big, uh, two big peoples that they were just like saying like, just try, go for it. Like I'll even one, I remember perfectly one of them. It's a, it's a good friend from Tehuacan. He's Nisim. Um, he says like, you don't worry for the, for the business side. I w- I'll, do, I'll do the business side. Like, I, I'll check that. Like, you just go for training. You just keep training. And this so. is your friend that you you have a business with. Is that who you're talking no, about? No, he's oh. just my, he's just a good friend that he says like, when I first qualified to Kona, he knew that I was qualifying. He also does uh, triathlon. So that he just come close and he says like, I want to support. Like, oh, so how, he, when he says how, business, he's talking about the yeah, registration yeah, yeah, and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I want a friend like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, I feel like really lucky with that. And there you was like... so uh, blessed. But you're pursuing all these opportunities, risking everything yeah. all the time. And, and you don't know what's going to be on the other side. I think that you, like, without knowing you are calling it. Like, like you, like... Whenever I, like, at that mo- at this moment even, like, sometimes it's hard for me, like, knowing, like, what I'm going to do, like, uh, like, financially stuff. Like, for all athletes, it's hard, you know? Like, but I was, like, when you are, like, in the middle of the way, like, in the middle of professional triathlon or in the middle of really working, like, it's just, like, what I'm going to do, like, 
in that middle part, it's just like still hard, but I don't really worry at the moment because I know that it, by working hard, it's just like calling it to, to happen by some other ways. But yeah, at that moment, this guy says that. And, and there's another lady that he, she was a marathon runner from my city. So she was like, when she knew that I was training, um, it's like a quite of important part because my family, well, I'm not meaning like my mother or my father or my sister and my brothers in like my other part of the family. They didn't understand what I was doing. Like in Mexico, it's not that common to be like athlete. Mm. So people think that you are just chilling around in between sessions or <laughs> like uh, like traveling a lot, racing whatever you want, living like we say always living the life. So we I like some of my family came to this lady and says like I don't know when Troy is gonna like sit down and start working and doing stuff or like doing something for his life. So thank God this lady says like what what do you mean? Like I think Troy is doing like the right stuff. Like, you know how, how hard he works, you know, how hard he's training, you know, like how much determination he needs to go like out of racing, like blah, blah, like all the right stuff on the right side of the sport. So he, then these ladies get like click. She says like, I want to support Troy. So she calls me and she says like, what do you need? Like, I, I want to support you. So it was like, Everything came in the right way at the right moment. Like, cause this lady was after Ironman, uh, after, after Kona, when I was just signing the contract with Siri. So at that moment I was just like, where I'm gonna get like all the money to support all this and what I'm gonna do. So she called me like two days after that. So it was just like, Jesus, this is not happening. Like that, that moment when you get like really goosebumps and you're just like, <sighs> like even I think about it now and it's just like I don't really realize like how that how is that possible you know like it's just like one million percent opportunities to happen so that that, that, that's that's how life works like and we're we're living a very so we're taking a lot of risks in our life right now and you know there's just a lot of unknown in our life and and when we enter in a, into a scenario that feels so right in our heart and feels so aligned with what we're supposed to do, but makes no sense. And we say, how are we even going to be, how, how is this going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like now when I face that kind of scenario, I'm like, I worry about it less because I know that because I've seen the miraculous ways that life works exactly when you're moving down that path you're supposed to move down like when you're following that deep burning desire in your heart you know like triathlon fulfills you yes yeah exactly yeah like (laughs) could you could you imagine like does anything else make sense to you right now to do with your with your life right now does anything else make sense no like uh then there's no question like no really uh i will say like uh, well i want to do long course and short uh, middle course so that i'm i'm 25 but that's still traveling yeah but like well but what i mean like i i know it's hard like at the moment it's hard like to think like uh being like winning you know like to say like that there's another option but um but that will come but yeah exactly. you've already won like you've won you've won in your age group you've won your age group so that shows you that 
you've got the win. You've got the win. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you're just going to, you're just like you keep doing, you're just going to keep taking it to the next level. Yeah, exactly. But you're like already every day working like, on that. You're already a, a winning competitor. You are. Yeah. And rather than that, I feel like, um, like I follow some, like I, it's one of my superheroes athletes. I don't know if you know Killian Hornet. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, I know this guy by my old coach cause she, he showed it to me. She, he gave me, uh, uh, his book. So I started reading about him. He's so unbelievable. Then, then I started uh, following him, but I, I really appreciate how he looks like at the sport or like every scenario of like sport life, you know? How would you sum it up how he looks at it? So that's what I like, what, that's what I was going to say. I feel like I'm winning already is if it's not like even racing, you know, I'm winning already to be able to stay here. Like I'm winning already to be training with city. Like it was like a dreaming stuff. Like you don't even realize like at that moment when I was starting like training with my team in Mexico, I was just like, Oh, rainy. Oh, Crowey, uh, or like whoever's like athletes you want to mention, like all big pictures. And now I'm here, like training around with them or being with them, like knowing them. It's just like, that's like a huge improvement for me. Like saying like, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer. Like I, I can't feel it. So that's like a big winning for me. The title of Troy's podcast was Risking Everything All the Time, and that's exactly what he does. But instead of choosing worry, which so many of us do when we take risks, he chooses trust over and over again, and it is paying off. Troy went on to qualify for Kona at Ironman Santa Rosa this year, where he took second overall, winning his age group and setting his personal best with a 901.57. It was such a joy to see him torch the course in person. If Troy is anything, he is relentless. And this leads us to our final Kona finisher. But the difference between this finisher and the others is that Suzanne Davis's most recent world championship finish line was her seventh. And although not her fastest, she described it on her Facebook page as her best for today, which she goes on to say is all you can ever ask of your body, mind, and personal testing of limits. Describing a great level of mercy, she explains that this is why she loves to compete. And she wanted to share this experience with her family, which she was able to do for the very first time with her sister and parents in tow. Suzanne has a strong faith and attitude of gratitude that lives within, but is not defined by her speedy body. With over 20 years in the sport, she has learned to let go of resistance and deliver herself to the starting line of a race in a state of calm. She is a symphony of greatness. She is one of the best athletes in the world. She is a coach, a mom, a wife, a friend, and we are honored to be connected with her as we share the same hometown of Carlsbad, California. It just has a special energy that I don't get from any other race out there. And I've raced around the world. There's something very unique about those lava fields. I definitely feel just like God and power and just a personal uplifting when I'm going there. Like, cause it's you and the elements of heat and wind and because it's a world championships, you are racing the best of the best. And so you have to expect the best out of yourself. And 
And I guess that's what keeps me motivated. People keep going, when are you ever going to stop doing this? When I no longer feel that euphoria, when I no longer feel that personal challenge, when I don't know what else can I pull out of my body mentally or physically. Because in triathlon, there's always something. Not There's very few races. I mean, I must have done hundreds of races. There's very few that go perfect. Um, and when that happens, it's, it's amazing. But even in, in races that you win, it's not always perfect from start to finish. Have you had, have you had a perfect race? Can mm. you think back and where things have actually clicked? Like, you know, in 2013, I had a pretty perfect race under probably the most stressful conditions in my life. And so that's where I know there's a higher power and, my husband had had a heart attack. I lost a friend's, um, my best friend lost her husband. I went into my race season with two months of being in a hospital um, with my husband. And I came out of it winning eight out of eight races and winning and breaking the world record in, in Kona, as well as winning the national championships for USA Triathlon. And that was in Milwaukee. Yeah, in yeah. Milwaukee. And so I was shocked because the focus was so taken off of me mm-hmm. and put on to my family and friends, yet I was lifted to, to this elevated level of, you know what, this race is important, but there's so much more. And I think just that's where people have to like get into their mindset to make those magical moments happen because you have to take the focus off of just you because there's so much more than that, you know, and and that's why I love Ironman. So in the middle of the marathon, the hardest part of the marathon is always probably 15 miles on. And I just had like the song come into my head and like someone was playing music. And then all of a sudden I just felt this like electrifying like energy. And I just started to go, 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 go. And it, it carried me again, just this, I don't know where the energy came from, but that's where the patience of your nutrition, your focus on your leg turnover, and then there's going to be a moment where, oh, everything in your body just comes together. And you can't always, you know, know exactly when that Mm -hmm. is, but you have to believe it's in there. And so I think going through all those hard moments made me realize, you know, when everything is out of your control, you have to depend on something else. And so I just prayed and I like sang a song and, and it came out of me. And I think that's where I was meant to do this sport and like to share that. I don't know. Well, I I think what happened, and and let me know if I'm misspeaking, but I feel like you were probably in a massive uh, energy field of gratitude that your husband was alive. Yes. That, you know, that, um, you know, it's so sad for your friend, but so grateful for what you still had that it was, it was lifted off of you. Like there was no room for you to have expectations about goals of what kind of time you're that, what kind of time you were going to hit. So by, as a byproduct of these things happening, you completely detached, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we attach, right, when we attach, this is what we talk about, like we can, the bars come down on the cage and then we limit ourselves. And, and what happened to you is that 
unbeknownst to you, yeah. everything got lifted right. and your full potential was able to come out and you were open. Like you are so open that these other, and I, and I absolutely know that we are never alone, that mm-hmm. these, that these energies were able to come through and support you because there was no resistance. Correct. So I think that's why triathlon is just such a lifestyle sport because I've learned that over the years and I didn't have that in my twenties when I was trained for the Olympics. And I just, I didn't have that confidence. I didn't have that self openness or secureness or realization. And so it's fun being in my forties cause you do, you're a lot more, um, I don't know, knowledgeable and experienced I know, and is calm it? and calm. <laughs> and so people go, Oh, are you nervous? No, I am very calm going into races. Yes. I get nervous right before the gun goes off or when I pick up my race packet. But other than that, no, the training is in, you know, I've crossed my T's and dotted my I's and the day will bring what it brings. And, and if I'm supposed to just win, awesome. And if I don't, I know I put my best out there and I'm going to be satisfied. There's been so many races where I self critique and I got down on myself and you know, it takes an athlete probably a few years to figure that out. It took me probably 10 years. Um, I've been doing this sport for over 20. So as a coach, I really try to share that knowledge of, yes, this was important or, oh, I'm sorry you didn't hit those paces or, oh, your heart rate was a few beats (laughs) off. But what it comes down to is, why are you really doing this race? Was it really to just impress me with that, that time? Cause it really, I don't care. I'm just so proud of you for like digging and living this and, and, uh, and it's gotta, you know, give you something back. Yeah. And I think that's, that's exactly like if we could go back 20 years, yeah. like go back 20 years and 15 years, like our parents tell us things like if, if you do this, like I'll tell you it, it's going to work. And I feel like with athletes, I just came back from Wisconsin, okay. Ironman, Wisconsin. Yeah. And I did the whole thing. Yeah. I went to like the athlete meeting and I went to like these swim groups and I was part of the Facebook group and you just see all the energy and nervousness and expectations being put out there. Yes. You see all this energy and I was there even on race day and you just see all this energy. But because I've been doing the work over the years, I felt the calmness Yeah. come race day. It was just calm. Like you're just calm. like the swim start is a swim start. It's changed from last year. That's what we're dealt with. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. Mm-hmm. And you can, I, I feel like there's some sort of way that we can communicate. And I think it's as coaches, we have a responsibility to share our experiences mm-hmm. and, and help these people grow. But I think what you tapped upon is so key. It's, it's more than the times. It's more than the heart rate. It's more than what you did in training. It's like, enjoy this full experience in its fullest capacity. Like who cares how long it takes mm-hmm. being the moment from the swim to the, to the bike, to the, to the run and come back and see the midnight finishers, like embrace the mm-hmm. whole experience. And, and for me, this last experience, I did the whole thing by myself. Just didn't come with me. Okay. And it was just in a new race, new town. Yeah. And, and I just soaked up every bit of it and the energy. And it just, it's made me appreciate the sport. Mm-hmm. It's made me appreciate what others are working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as coaches, we have so much to share and help these people along. Maybe even like skip a few steps. Like if I can help you save, you know, a few years here mm-hmm. or there just by detaching from that watch that right. you're constantly looking at. Right. Um, 
I just feel like the, this whole Iron Man experience is something that people can truly grow personally from. And it sounds like you did. Yeah. And you know what really helped because I was so competitive all my life since college from running, then into triathlon, I got recruited by USA triathlon. And, um, I was always comparing myself to the best of the best. And if I wasn't, you know, if you, in any sport, if you're not first or second, you're really kind of nobody. I mean, cause how many people are getting paid? How many people really mm-hmm. know the name and what was awesome about this sport was becoming part of team Timex. So there were 50 people from all over the world, uh, doctors, teachers, physio, scientists, uh, NASA scientists, um, a mom, you know, a trainer. And they all came together. They all did the sport. None of them were saying, oh, what time do you run? And, and they were so in love with the lifestyle of the sport and so supportive. And I had never experienced that much camaraderie. Uh, maybe because of the way I tried to train and race mm-hmm. and always be at the top, but all of these people win their age group or they take top five. I mean, they're competitive and they're executives or, you know, they have a big balance. And that was such an eye opener to me and a learning experience. And I am full of gratitude for being on the team because it showed me how people just love this. And it doesn't matter if you're first or 10th like they just love it and so if you can just share your training your racing with people who love what they're doing it's a win-win I mean and 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 you know you're gonna get the memories you're gonna get the relationships and you're gonna get your personal race out of it and so it's been really fun to do the team um race at some of these races with the team Kona always we always have like about eight to 10 people at least. And so it's fun. We do a team dinner and it's just, it's fun. I really, um, Tristan is our manager and he just does an amazing job. I think of correlating all of these great people on one team with awesome sponsors. And it's enabled me to keep doing what I'm doing. Cause I do have awesome equipment. <laughs> I've got the Trek speed concept, you know, with flying colors. And every time I zip down the coast highway, people are like, that is a nice bike. And I'm like, and they go, she looks fast. So just looking fast, I don't even have to be fast. I look fast. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's laughable now. Cause I'm like, "Mm, I know I'm a little intimidating looking, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I was intimidated the first 10 years of other people that look like that. And now I'm like, oh, if you only knew, I'm just a mom, a fast mom, but just a mom, a coach, a little, you know, a neighbor, you know, so, um, it's fun. It's fun. What would you tell like the 20 something year old Suzanne? Mm. What would you tell her now? (laughs) Well, looking back at like, you know, it yeah. sounds like you were uber competitive yeah. and, um, you know, maybe beating yourself up a little bit. Yeah. 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 What would you say to her? Um, I would say find how you define yourself. Like, who are you rating yourself against? Do you know God or do you have a spirituality? I didn't have that relationship at that time in my life. And so I was my worst critic. I wasn't accepting of failure, you know? And so I would just 
say, you know, in life, whether it was in college where you failed a test or, you know, you got a C in that class versus an A, did you really think like any of your friends thought less of you? And that's almost like the sport. You, you put this fake in your twenties. I did. I put this fake idealism, I guess, of, you know, if I wasn't top three, I was getting a D in that course. And so it's just, what do you, why are you rating yourself against that? And I guess because I wanted to get sponsored and I wanted to make the Olympic team. And so it, you had to be that way, um, a little bit, but it would have been nice because you met people like Sheila Termina or Barb Lindquist who had that inner peace and balance and I wish I could have grown from knowing them a little bit more in my years with racing with them. But now I see why they were calm on the starting line because they had that connection. They had, they understood who they were as a person and didn't rate themselves as a triathlete. I identified myself as a triathlete, not as Suzanne. And so it just, it's, it's like anything. I'm sure if you're a doctor, you identify yourself maybe as a doctor and you forget, no, you're the dad and you're this person, or, you know, you're always, you know, called a teacher or whatever. And, and you just get wrapped up on who you are. And as a 20 year old, you know, you're molding yourself into something. And I wanted to be an athlete and that's all I really knew how to be. And, um, and so it is hard. And so I look at sports now and you look at, you know, all these people that go through a sport and then they're done and they're bored or, you know, Michael Phelps keeps coming back or, you know, yeah, what's next, what's next. <laughs> and you I mean, and you know, there are just people you, you're like, well, now what do I do? Cause how do I get that euphoric experience? And that's where I'm saying, I hope those athletes learn like I did 10 years ago you know, my center is God and then family and friends and my athletic gift is a blessing and I can share it with others and I can brighten my world with it. And I'm so awesome. I'm so amazed and, and happy that I can still do it at 46. <laughs> Okay, that's it. My first compilation of five amazing podcast guests, all of which met their makers on the big island of Hawaii and maneuvered their bodies to the greatest finish line in history this past weekend. We are so grateful for our connection with them, for the gift of sharing their stories with you and thereby strengthening the Yogi Triathlete tribe. For most of you that were following the race on Saturday, you probably already know about the accident that occurred with Matt Russell, our fellow triathlete. Uh, and it was serious. There is a You Caring page set up for donations to assist the family. And we've put a link in the show notes for those of you who are called to do so. Just listen to your heart and take action from there. There is no right or wrong. We just felt compelled by our hearts to share this. As I went to bed last night with my final thoughts as prayers to a family I've never met, but I know that I am deeply connected to at my core. So we appreciate all your support, you guys. Keep sharing the show with your friends. Reviews on Apple Podcasts are coming in. If you haven't left yours, please do, because each time you do, it pours more life into the show, and she needs that life breath to continue on. Patreon supporters will be putting up some more exclusive content for you this week, and everyone, please check out the show notes. 
to connect with our guests and find out how to support the show. I also want to officially welcome Megan and Scarlett to the Yogi Triathlete team. These athletes have some big goals for 2018, and we are so excited to have been chosen to assist them in mastering each one. This is the Awaken Ready Life, and it's not for everyone. It's for the warriors, and it's one that will challenge you like you could never dream of. And it's one that will change everything about you to open up the space so that you can step into the person you are always meant to be. The one that the world needs so very much for you to become. And it's the one where there is no effort because it takes no effort to be you.